Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. That is my cue to get started this morning. It's good to see each and every one of you here. So glad that you've come this morning to join us in a study on the life of David, the man after God's own heart. And um, if you would, would you, we'll begin out of 1 Samuel 13, if you'd be turning there in your Bibles. Uh, That will be our launching point. So this morning, we're going to be starting what I have listed down as the first of a two-part lesson. We're going to be looking at David from the aspect of a ruler of the sovereign, of David as having the chosen heart from God. And what I want to do this morning, we're not going to actually start with David, we're going to start with Saul. And we'll make some points comparing Saul against David and look at some of the interactions that they had with each other and just see how remarkable that David was. So, um, so this will be part one. In part two, what I hope to do next week is we will look at David, we'll look at some other rulers that he's associated with and make some uh, contrasts and comparisons. We may take a look at Absalom, we may look at Solomon, and I hope to look at even Jesus Christ himself next week, uh, who David was a type of as king. So, so we're going to start with Saul, and he was the first king of Israel. We've gone over uh, this in a previous class about Israel wanting a king like the nations around them, which was not a decision that God was happy with, but he ended up going along with it. And so for the first king, he chose Saul. And Saul looked the part. If you look at his description in chapter 9 of 1 Samuel, I mean, he was tall, he was head and shoulders above everyone else. He had the appearance of being a ruler. Well, he looked the part, but the problem was he did not have the heart. 1 Samuel 13, verse 4. This is, um, let me see, excuse me, verse 14. Uh, so this is after Saul has transgressed against God. And in verse 13, Samuel says to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So this is the, where the phrase is found in the Old Testament. And later on in Acts 13, 22, I believe Paul there describes David with the same phraseology. Um, so in the class, we wanted to take a look at David's heart and different aspects of it. We want to imitate the heart of David. We don't want to imitate the heart of Saul. Let's take a look at him briefly as we start this class. So when you read over Saul's life and you saw the way that he treated David later on, how he's an enemy to him, it is kind of hard for us to remember that Saul started off fairly well at the beginning of his reign. So where was it that Saul went wrong? When we look at the beginning of his uh, reign, we see that uh, he had a humble attitude. Uh, 
If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 9 and look at verse 21, when they're looking for a king, and he's approached about this, Saul's response is one of a, well, he can't believe it, I guess is what you would say. He's a bit, a bit shy about it, uh, humble about it. He, he tells him, Samuel, he says, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? The Benjamite tribe had been decimated some years prior to this. And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, why then do you speak like this uh, to me? So that was his attitude. Why me be king? I'm the least of all the tribes and the least of all the families that are in the tribe. How, how would you pick me out? So we see uh, more examples of uh, his shyness, uh, maybe his fear in regards to that. So he goes back. He's been searching for these lost donkeys. In chapter 10, verses 15 through 16, he meets his uncle there. Saul's uncle said, tell me please what Samuel the prophet said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. Now a lot of people, if they had gotten the, um, the news that they were to be appointed king over Israel, they couldn't wait to spread that kind of information around. But Saul was reluctant to do that, uh, it seems, at the first. So... Uh, then we look at uh, his crowning later on in this chapter, verses 21 through 22. So Samuel is showing who the king will be. 21, when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Machri was chosen, and Saul the son of Kish was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired the Lord further, has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden among the equipment. So... Uh, you know, Samuel, uh, uh, Saul was somebody that thought of himself little in his own sight. In fact, later on in 1 Samuel 15, Samuel describes him that way. So, uh, that's not the way he ended up uh, at his reign. He did not have the humility. He did not continue that humility. But he had a uh, haughty attitude towards God, I guess, in, in doing the things that God commanded. And um, thinking more of himself than he should have. Two instances of this where it's explicitly stated that God had rejected him as king. The first one is 1 Samuel 13. And we read out of the end of this, but we'll start here in verse 8. Um, so this is when he's preparing for battle with the Philistines and the sacrifice needs to be offered. And he's waiting and waiting for Samuel to show up. And Samuel is not doing that, so Saul takes the initiative. He waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me, that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. You see fear getting the best of him right here. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And then Samuel tells him he's done foolishly and that the kingdom will be, uh, his kingdom will not last forever. A couple of chapters later, 1 Samuel 15, here we have the Amalekites. And uh, God had commanded him to utterly destroy them. Uh, he did not do that. And so... Um, uh, 
Verse 8, here he took Agag, the king of Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, and lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that was utterly destroyed. And then the Lord comes to Samuel, says he's a regret that he has set up Samuel as king, and he's turned back from following me, has not performed uh, my commandments. So... um, So this leads to verse 22. Samuel addresses Saul on this. He says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? See, they had saved the animals for sacrifice. That was his justification for that. Better to obey, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Um... So we see that uh, Saul uh, did not keep that attitude with, with God, not the humble attitude he had with his people, but uh, went into uh, disobeying God, particularly when the, when the situation was against him as well, and as a result, God rejected him as king. Another thing about Saul that is interesting was, of course, we, we talk about David being a warrior. We talked about that last week, and how courageous he was. Well, Saul was a warrior too. He, started, he fought in battles against the Philistines, and that was true very early on with him. God brought about great victories. In 1 Samuel chapter 11, we hear of a victory uh, against the Ammonites uh, there at uh, Jabesh-Gilead. And, uh, um, and uh, Saul was there leading the people, so it was on the next day, verse 11. Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, watch, and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered, that no two of them were left together. So we see him having a fearless attitude uh, in his battles and in serving God. But remember last week we went over Goliath, 1 Samuel 17. We talked about the courageous attitude that David had in fighting Goliath. Uh, that was an attitude Saul should have had. And he should have been the one that would met and fought against Goliath. And he could have. Uh, he should have been the example for his people, and uh, that was not the case. He let his fear get the best of him, as it did with everyone else. So uh, there's a lesson for us in that today, in the New Testament, when it comes to serve God. Uh, one of the things that I appreciate is the iteration to the people of God, to Christians, over and over again, in serving God, of how we are not to, to fear, uh, but to be of good courage. So uh, to... Uh, Passages come to mind, Hebrews 13, verse 6, which is a, a quote out of the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews says, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And then in 2 Timothy 1, and verse 7, Paul, near the close of his life, tells um, Timothy here, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Okay, that's great. What, is, what has he given us? He has given us of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And that was not true of Saul. He let fear get the best of him. We'll talk about sound mind here later as well. So um, any comments? I hate hearing myself talk and go on and on. I, don't, I figure others must be like that. So anybody want to make another observation? I'll open the floor. Okay, we'll, keep, we'll continue then. 
Another thing about Saul was that he started out early in his reign rejoicing and being merry, but by the time he got later in his reign, he was miserable. And that was an effect that sin had on him. So we talked about his victory at Gilgal over the uh, Ammonites there. And uh, at the end of that chapter, verse 15, it says, All the people went to Gilgal, and they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So uh, when he was doing the things that God had commanded him to do, then he was uh, rejoicing and had the right attitude. But later on, that would not be the case. We see in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 14 the distressing spirit uh, sent to him and how uh, he lost his joy. And we see the negative feelings he has towards David. You know, David was described as having slain his ten thousands, but Saul his thousands. That really got to Saul. Uh, He never thought of David the same way after hearing that. And we see this envy rising up in him, this bitterness uh, that he has, this resentment that he has towards David and the effect that that had on him. Solomon wrote well in uh, Proverbs 14, verse 30, as he always wrote well, but um, he said, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. And boy, was that not true under Saul uh, as well. And so another thing that this led to Saul was uh, it led him from being under control to being out of control. Um, At the beginning, he did demonstrate self-control in some interactions he had with people. Initially, when this inauguration, when he was being crowned king, not everybody was necessarily on board with that. There's a, a statement made in 1 Samuel 10 and verse 27 where... There were some rebels there, and they were talking about Saul. Verse 26 says, Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents. What was Saul's reaction to that at the time? He held his peace. So we see Saul displaying self-control at that time. Rebels, Of course, we know that with David, that was not going to be the case. As well. So he hated David, knowing that David was going to take the throne after him. And that was a shame because Saul had no man that was more loyal to him than David was. And the great characteristics that David displayed in their interaction. So consider these things about Saul and how sin led him to get more and more out of control in the things that he did late in his life. So we know that his son Jonathan was best friends with David. And that was something that Saul resented so much that we can read in 1 Samuel 20 in verses 30 through 34 that Saul even attempted to kill Jonathan uh, because of his relationship with David, his friendship that he had with him. So his envy was so great he'd even killed his own child uh, over that. Uh, Jonathan was fortunate. The priests at Nob were not so lucky in that regard. They had helped David out, and when Saul found out about that in 1 Samuel 22, he had all of them executed. Um, And so uh, we see that there's a lesson for us today that we ought to have self-control in our lives as well. Uh, That's something that is talked about in the New Testament. We see that in 2 Peter chapter 1, list of the Christian graces. One of those is self-control. Galatians chapter 5, we read self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit that Christians are to have. So that's something for us as 
important as Christians, something important for us as leaders uh, to have as well. And finally, one other thing about Saul, and I would look to 1 Samuel 28 on this, is that he went uh, started out well in banishing error out of the land. By the time he got to the end of his life, he was befriending error. And the one that comes to mind is when he went and visited the witch at Endor. So to set up for that in chapter 28, there's some remarks that are made in verse 3 that Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. So he had banned witchcraft, and uh, this woman... Endor knew that because her reaction when she discovers this is Saul, she's greatly afraid. And she says to Saul, look, you know what Saul has... She doesn't know him yet. She knows what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? Yet he wanted wanted something from God, so he wanted to inquire of... um, from a witch, from witchcraft. And uh, of course that was against the Lord's commandment. And... It's very interesting to see what God thought of that. It might be easy to think light of that. First Chronicles 10, when it gives its uh, account of this, it makes a very interesting statement about this incident. Uh, and it talks about Saul. It talks about why Saul was killed. Of course, he was killed in battle very shortly after this. Verses 13 through 14, it gives the reason why Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord. And also, because he did not keep the word of the Lord. Okay, we've read that. And also because he consulted a medium for guidance. For, but he did not inquire the Lord, therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So even this sin of consulting a uh, sorceress or, or a, a witch, someone who would be practicing witchcraft, um, was listed as a, a reason why he was punished uh, for that. So... It helped lead to his demise. So us as Christians in Ephesians 5, we're commanded not to fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness uh, in there. So would it, uh, Saul demonstrates that um, here in this passage as well. So as a result of this, Saul lost the kingdom. Uh, so we can learn from Saul and uh, so that we don't lose the kingdom of God ourselves that we are under. So... That's what I wanted to cover from Saul himself. I want to look at Saul and David's interactions with each other. So I'll pause there. Any questions or comments anyone wants to make? This does not have to be the second sermon of the morning. I appreciate interactions. So. Okay, let's go to some incidents between the two of them then. Let's make some comparisons. When you read early on of David in these times before he was, he was anointed as king, but he hadn't yet gotten the throne yet. And David's very remarkable in several instances, especially in his interactions with Saul and how he treated him. So we see that David was selected king, but he had to wait for the right time. David did not assert himself. He did not promote himself. Rather, he prepared and he proved himself, and he respected God's anointed, Saul. God had anointed him king. So you think about people who seek power throughout history in our world today. What do they do? do? People deceive others so that they might achieve power? They pass bribes on to each other? Do they have others murdered so that they may take the throne? We find that a lot in history, don't we? Um, 
Even sometimes here in America, we see that with some politicians willing to uh, break promises, willing to, uh, to pass bribes along to, to cling up the, the ladder of power. Uh, the throne is a dangerous thing. It can change people. It changed Saul uh, here. Uh, it made him arrogant. David did not approach it that way. And that's something that I find very remarkable about him. So I guess a lot of commentators think that when Samuel first anointed David, he was probably around 15 years old at the time. If that was the case, then when he started ruling in Hebron, he would have been 30 about that point. And in Jerusalem, I guess he would have been in his late 30s by that point. So how did he approach this? He learned to trust God, and he learned to pray. And all through his young life, this would include the shepherds, but including when he was running from Saul, somebody that he had loyalty to, he learned to depend on his father. And all those things that he learned in that time in his relationship with God helped prepare him and serve him well as king. So what would most rulers think about that? I would think that most, you know, most rulers aren't very humble about themselves, right? They would scoff at submission to God's will, I think, or seeking his guidance and his blessings. Uh, it would be very powerful to be able to issue laws and, and commands, but a lot of them would miss out on the most basic requirement of all men. That is recognizing God as the ruler of their lives and that he rules in the kingdom of men. Which, of course, this is taught through the Bible. David grew in faith and trust, And, of course, he trusted God in battle. And we think of Goliath most of all, but David fought in many battles. Uh, So in 1 Samuel 18, I believe this is describing the Philistines here. This was a characteristic that David had all throughout um, his life. Um, Verses 13 through 16. So Saul removed him from his presence. So Saul makes David captain over a thousand. And David went out and came in before the people... And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, what was his reaction? He was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and he came in before them. Okay, so we see that even at an early time, even during the reign of Saul, that uh, David kind of had this presence about him of leading Israel. Um, in fact, later on, when they, when they approach him later about being king, after Saul has, has died, the men make remarks about that to David. You were the one who always led Israel in and out, even during his reign, so we, we want you to be king over us. Um, so let me, let me throw out this question. Let me ask the audience here. So how did David treat Saul? I think some people are familiar enough with this story. With respect, because see, I'm going to get people to talk in this class, right? So respect, that would be one thing. Anybody else have another word? Yes, Fred. David went to do Saul, for whatever faults he had, whatever sins he was committed, he was still God's anointed because he was king. And, so, and David, I always understood, would not raise a word or a hand against Saul, he had the 
so for those on live stream, what he was pointing out in here was that David had respect for the office as king. He wouldn't say anything about uh, God's anointed, and that's a principle we see in the New Testament in certain places on how we are to treat dignitaries and those who have authority over us as well. David reflected that same attitude, and, uh, and Saul did not uh, to David himself, so uh, very good comments. Anything else? Okay, then. Um, so, David did not whisper behind the king's back. He did not undermine Saul at all. He did not depose him. He didn't usurp the throne, and he didn't belittle the king at all, even though, not just because Saul wasn't the best ruler, but because Saul was out to get David, too. It would be very easy for David to have thought that he could do that, and certainly the men around him thought that he could do that as well. So let's take a look at, there were two instances where David had Saul, and he could have taken his life. I want to look at what David said about these. So the first one is at En Gedi in 1 Samuel 24. Let's turn there, because we're going to read a good section of Scripture here. So this was a, a, point, a time where, where Saul was seeking David. David was hiding in a cave. Saul goes into the cave not knowing David's there. And uh, so David, instead of slaying Saul, cuts off a piece of his robe. And so... He was encouraged to kill him, but he restrained his servants. And so let's start here in verse 8. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you. But my eye spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. And then, of course, Saul responds positively to this. He recognizes David's more righteous than him, and he, he goes away from that. Temporarily. <laughs> but then Saul's at it again, trying to seek David and to, uh, to kill him. And we see this incident having to be repeated again, this time at the wilderness of Ziph. This is chapter 26. Turn over there and take a look at this. So Saul is out there pursuing David. Abner, his right-hand man, is with him. A deep sleep falls upon all of them out in the wilderness. And so this was a perfect opportunity for David to go in the camp and to slay Saul. And in fact, one of his men encourages him very much to do that. David restrains himself, but he takes the spear and he takes the water jug by Saul's head and he climbs up the hill. So let's see what David said this time. Verse 14. David called out to the people and to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer Abner? And Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? 
Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please, let my lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul says, I have sinned, return my son David, for I will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me. Out of all tribulation, and even Saul has to acknowledge, may you be blessed, my son David, you shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. Um, You see the humility that David has in interacting with Saul. This is something that is very hard to do when others are... It isn't just necessarily that Saul was seeking to kill David. That was bad enough, but he had impressions of David that were incorrect. About him, David was not wanting to come take his throne uh, by violence. That was something that God had ordained, but it was something that would happen in its own time. Um, Saul was envious of David, and that would lead him to mischaracterize him over and over. It's hard to deal with people like that. Uh, we, we run into people like that in our lives that, for whatever reason, don't think well of us. And then uh, we try and we show them uh, that we are not the way that they think that, that we are. And David did that uh, with Saul. So you look at how humble that David was in interacting with him. David saw himself as unimportant, really. What he didn't see as unimportant was God's will. And he was willing to follow it. Um, so Saul looked upon David with envy. And that was the, kind of the sin, the sin of the heart that he had there. And this led him to do these other things towards David, right? He would connive against him. He would seek his death. He would plot to kill him. His envy allowed him to fear David's influence when David had nothing against Saul. Um, he became David's enemy continually when David didn't want an enemy out of him. Uh, he sought to kill him, and David had to flee for his life. In all this, David still trusted in God's promises. He believed in God's word, and then he would follow God's way in that. I didn't mean that he was always in a high plane. He had his ups and downs even in this time period, but for the most part, he was there with God and following him. So, you can see this especially, the respect that he had for Saul, the respect he had for God's will, and how he interacted after Saul was killed in battle. 
So just a few things here. So 2 Samuel 1. Um, in battle, Saul killed himself so the Philistines wouldn't kill him. I don't know that he did a good job of it because we have an Amalekite that comes to David in chapter 1 and says that he had uh, killed Saul, that he finished the job for him. And he thought this would be a good thing for David. He thought he would get some... Uh, uh, good things, some recommendations from David, I suppose, as a result of that. But that was not David's reaction, verses 11 and 12. David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And, uh, and so we see that in the verses that follow, David has this man executed for slaying Saul, uh, verses 13 through 16. Um, the next chapter, chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Now remember, I made mention earlier, early in Saul's reign, which I guess this would have had to have been probably 40 years previous to this. Saul had fought the Ammonites. They had come against Jabesh, Jabesh Gilead, and he had wrought a great victory. He saved the city. And so after Saul was killed, we see that the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead are, display kindness for Saul because of what he had done, I believe. So after Saul is killed, so verses 5 through 7, um, well, the, the inhabitants go and they get Saul's body and they bury it. So David sends messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead in verse 5 and says to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. Now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So we see that uh, when Jabesh Gilead treated Saul and his, uh, I guess maybe Jonathan as well, his sons with kindness by burying their bodies, uh, David reacted positively to them towards that. Um, he treated Saul's son Ishbosheth with respect. So after Saul was dead, they didn't end everything. His son Ishbosheth wanted to rule as well. And uh, we see an account of that in Second um, Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Um, later on in that chapter, we see that uh, some murderers killed Ishbosheth in cold blood, in his bed, actually, while he was sleeping. And they come and they tell the news to David, thinking, oh, David will uh, respect what we've done and he'll reward us and everything. And that was not David's reaction either. In this case, they should have learned from the Amalekite because he had been executed as well. And then finally, in 2 Samuel 9, he shows kindness to Saul's grandson, which is Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, uh, as well. So this is what David's attitude was towards Saul, even though Saul did not have this attitude towards David at, as, at all. Saul would have had him killed. He would have had him executed. He was not uh, returning evil for evil. He respected the office. And as a result, uh, David was uh, always concerned about God being exalted rather than himself. So, um, I'll stop right there. Does anyone want to make some comments on these? Uh, his existence and his life, and you see that, I think, indicated repetitively by the things he did and said. So, Fred was making the point there that uh, God, uh, David was always interested, always following what God said, even though he had sins in his life. He always um, came, overcame those, repented, and, and came through them. 
And that was true about different events all through his life and his conduct. What we've been talking about this morning, that was true while Saul was alive and trying to kill him. That was true after Saul was dead um, as well. So, so let's move on to focusing on David specifically himself. So as a ruler, just some things that he implemented uh, shortly. He, he kept, we learn in very briefly, but in 2 Samuel 5, he captured Jerusalem and made it the capital of Israel. So we see uh, uh, Jerusalem being a very important city starting out right there. Uh, he enacted some religious reforms in chapter 6 through 7, appointed priests in chapter 8. Of course, we talked about him being a warrior, and he enlarged the borders of Israel, the kingdom that he ruled over, and uh, structured his administration uh, who would be commander of his army and uh, the two priests that served him and other officials um, that were there. So, um, so the central theme we've had running through the class has been David was a man after God's own heart. We'll talk a little bit about that as a ruler. So let me throw this question out to everybody. What does that phrase mean? If we want to imitate that, we've got to know, understand what it uh, means uh, for us. So what would it mean to be a man after God's own heart? Does anyone have a definition? Don. Uh, Paul says God is love. Okay. So uh, as Christians, we should imitate God in love. Okay, so God, love is definitely describes the characteristics saying God is love. Something David did demonstrate, and that's something we as Christians should. And we can look at 1 Corinthians 15, the chapter of love. Glenn mentioned here, take love out of there, put our own name in there. Let's see how we line up, huh? First John. First John as well. So, yes. So, I, um, any other thoughts, definitions? I figure there's got to be others. Of course, yes. That's a, that's a very great observation. So Glenn was talking that couldn't excuse David for everything that he did uh, with his sins and everything. That he wasn't, I mean, you wouldn't be able to say that he was a man after God's own heart with Uriah and Bathsheba and how that went down. But that there was something that was at the root of who David was as a person. I guess the other stuff would have been the exceptions, not the general rule with him. And that God found his heart commendable in that. Did I pretty much capture that? Okay, so I um, uh, so uh, those comments are, are great and are good. One thing I would probably say to that was that a man after God's own heart is a man who is throughout one with God's heart, and how he lives and how he does his conduct, he is imitating the heart of God. Uh, sometimes he was ungodly, but he always found his way back to God, and that. Uh, he sought a relationship with God, um, and, uh, and you can see this in his attitude. When David sinned when he numbered the people in 2 Samuel 24, 17, God deals out the punishment uh, with the, the people and the pestilence, but David's reaction always gets me when he sees that going on, and he, I believe, if I remember right, he wants God to look on him and his own family. What about these sheep of Israel? What have they done? No, he wasn't using sheep as a derogatory term in there. He was, um, you can see David's shepherd influence in how he viewed his people 
that he ruled over in saying that. So, um, so every heart lies open to God's inspection. God looks after the heart, 1 Samuel 16. Obligations to God and others should be fulfilled, and we should seek to keep our own heads right. So one of the great statements David made from the Psalms in Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Um, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That was how David viewed his relationship with God and the heart that he should have. And that is something, I, I love that passage. I love reading that one over and over again. And it's something we should try to imitate in our lives as well. So I want to take a look at one other passage before we run out of time. I want to go to First Chronicles 29, if you would turn there. David's attitude towards God as a ruler is brought out in this prayer that he gives. It's a public prayer that he gives at the end of his life with the people. He has Solomon there. Solomon is going to start his reign, and construction will start on the temple. He's already made the provisions for it. So let's start here in verse 10. Look at David's attitude through this. David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. So look at the focus he has is on God. It's not on himself. He reflects humility towards God for he and the people. He recognizes God's power, that his hand is to make great, and he gives strength to all. That's where David's strength lied, was with God. It's something we should keep in mind. And that everything, even the provisions that he had made to build the temple, all of that came from the hand of God as well. So his focus was on God to be glorified. Now look at verse 15. I find this one fascinating. For we are all aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. He recognized it was without hope, without God. Now, this principle of strangers and pilgrims is something I usually think of the New Testament. So I can go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 17. Paul describes Christians as pilgrims. He talks about our stay here, but especially Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, when it's talking about Abraham and the characters of the Old Testament uh, there who lived and uh, describes them as uh, seeking a heavenly country and describes them as being sojourners and pilgrims there. It's something that's not described so much in the Old Testament about them from a heavenly standpoint, but the writer of Hebrews declares that to be true. But we see David here in this prayer acknowledging that himself describing the people as aliens and pilgrims and that their days on earth are but limited. Let's continue in verse 16. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. 
As for me and the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things, and now with joy I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward God and give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. So we see the influence David had on there with the people and was recognizing God. And this was after, after the sins that we've been talking about which did hurt his influence, then didn't mean that he didn't have any influence or couldn't regain some of it. And we see him as leader of the people using that here with them, encouraging them in their attitude towards God, encouraging them in worshiping God as well. So I read that and I think, well, that's good for us, but you know, what if our leaders had that attitude towards God as well, uh, themselves or the leaders of the world? And how much better would that be? So... I'm going to end the class right there. Uh, Class is dismissed, and we will continue this subject looking at some other rulers and comparing them with David next week. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer... Send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.